I started to read a book. I found a book online about the uh, Republican Party. Um, and, um, and it went on to the origins of the Ripon Society. How, I guess, the Republican Party started in Ripon. And it started around a philosophical debate as regards um, whether or not slavery should be uh, allowed. And so I thought the origins of our party is, if you will, philosophical. So I thought I would start this with kind of the philosophical debate that is around healthcare, because healthcare is just, I woke up at three in the morning and went back to sleep at five thinking about healthcare. So as I walked in today thinking as to what I would speak about, as you might guess, I have healthcare on my mind. And I think in our party, there has been a debate as to whether or not healthcare is a right. Now, I'm a pragmatic guy. I'm a doctor. If someone is bleeding, you do what you have to do. If someone falls on the ground, you do what you have to do. And you don't debate whether or not they have a right to health care. You do what you have to do. Frankly, that's what society has decided. Whether or not we, wherever we go in the philosophical debate as to whether or not we have established a right to health care, functionally, Congress has established a right to health care. I say that because just think of what I'm about to list. We have Medicare, Medicaid, we have TRICARE, we have the VA, we have the Indian Health Service, we have 340B, which subsidizes health care for others. I can go down, I can keep on going down the list. And if you're totally uninsured and you walk into an emergency room, Impala laws say that you have to be treated. And if you need to be hospitalized, you will be hospitalized. And when you're hospitalized, it may cost $100,000 after that terrible burn injury. If you have no money and cannot get on Medicaid, society pays. Functionally, we've established that there is a right to health care. Period. End of story. Move on. I say that as a physician who worked in a hospital for the uninsured for 25, 30 years. As long as the doors of that emergency room were open, we saw the COPD patient, the diabetic, the hypertensive, the heart failure, the car wreck, the burn patient, the schizophrenic, the drug overdose, we treated them all. By the way, we didn't treat them for free because someone paid my salary, the nurses, the rent, the utilities, the equipment, etc. Uh, that was either paid for by society through taxes or to the degree that we saw private patients, the premiums, excuse me, the costs paid by the private patients were inflated to compensate the hospital for the uninsured care. Something called cost shifting. They call it an hydraulic effect. The more you have that is uninsured, the more the hydraulic effect pushing up the premiums for the privately insured. Uh, society pays for that care. One, we've established that functionally all have a right. Two, society pays for the care. There is no way to get around it. Now, uh, during the campaign, President Trump established his goals. Uh, his goals were that all would have coverage, uh, caring for those with pre-existing conditions, without mandates at a lower cost. I should I say that our goal, uh, I call it the, the acronym FIT, we should fulfill President Trump's pledge, pledges, in a fiscally conservative way that lowers premiums. The American people are sick of paying higher premiums. 
If I could channel the American people right now, you would see steam blowing out of my ears. Because the Obamacare law has raised their premiums. People think I'm joking, but I put it on my Facebook page. A friend of mine got his premium, Blue Cross, Louisiana. His wife's 61, he's 60, something like that. No children. Their premium for one year was $39,000. Think about that. $39,000. Um, and I mentioned that to a fellow the other day. He goes, uh, oh yeah, I'm paying $2,800 a month for my wife and me. Uh, wow, that's, that's quite remarkable. That's almost $39,000. So the point being that the American people in this campaign heard the president say that he was going to do it at a lower cost. And I think we can receive that either as a lower cost to society or as a lower cost to the individual. I think the voter heard it as a lower cost to the individual. Okay? You just tend to think, okay, what does it matter to me? Not the more abstract, is society paying less? So I, I think the president, one, made that pledge. But two, he showed it's incredibly good politics. If there's a, a video on Vox, you go to Vox, and it's about this county in southern Kentucky that voted 85 to 15 for Trump, and the median income is $16,000. Uh, think about that, 16K, and you got and Trump got 85% of the vote. And some high percentage of the voters there in some way benefit from Obamacare. When they interview them, they say, oh yeah, we're on Obamacare, but I can't afford the deductible, or I can't afford the premium. I like the coverage. I've never had coverage before. Isn't this great? I have coverage. But I want it to be more affordable. So I do think when the American voter heard the cost will be less, they perceive that as cost less to them. I think that's fair. But President Trump showed those great politics. By the way, I think it's safe to say that if we've gone from the Democrats controlling presidency, Senate, and House, or as Mike Burgess would say, presidency, house, and senate. <laughs> to eight years later, we controlling presidency, senate, and house. And throughout this interval, we ran on repeal and replace. But replace with something which works better for the individual. It is very good politics. It is extremely good politics. But now we have to deliver. How do we lower premiums? So again, fulfill President Trump's pledge in a fiscally responsible way that lowers premiums. How do we lower those premiums? And I think now we're going to start verging on some of the controversies that are before us in the House bill. Well, there's three ways to lower premiums, at least three that comes to mind. One, you got to lower the cost of care. Two, you have to improve competition or lower the cost of insurance independently of lowering the cost of care. And the third way you can do that is by the regulatory environment. Okay. So how do you lower the cost of care? One thing I've advocated for in legislation that I've advanced, and Burgess has in legislation he's advanced, I'm not sure reconciliation allows anyone to do it though now, is to have price transparency. We have an opaqueness now where some people know the price, but the consumer does not. And that consumer can either be the patient or the consumer can be the employer paying 80% of the employee's coverage. But, but the people who are paying do not know the cost. When my wife buys jeans, she makes some calculation based on convenience, quality, and cost. 
and it's Target, Walmart, or Macy's, but she's going to go someplace where she gets my kids' jeans with some combination of that. We don't know that. A friend of mine, um, his wife, both of them are physicians, she went for a mammogram. She goes for a mammogram, and she wants to pay cash. Oh, no, 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 we'll bill you. I want to pay cash. No, 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 we'll bill you. Um, okay, bill me. Uh, well, she later learned if she had paid cash for a mammogram, it would have cost $90. But because she was billed, the insurance company was billed $500, and her deductible was $100. So not only is she out the higher premium that she will ultimately pay because they were billed $500, she was actually out $10 more because her deductible was $100. Now, if she had had price transparency, she would have said, hmm, $90 bucks if I pay cash. A hundred bucks if I pay my deductible, I'm going to pay cash. She did not have that price transparency. Um, my nirvana is that when the doctor orders a CT scan for some child, the mama takes her smartphone, she scans a barcode, she says, hmm, I can get that CT scan down the street right now, three in the afternoon for $2,500. I can go Thursday at midnight and get it for 250 Baby, we're staying up Thursday night. <laughs> and don't you know that would happen? By the way, I picked that because a couple of years ago uh, in Los Angeles, LA Times wrote an article about the cash price for CT scans in the LA Basin. It ranged from 250 to $2,500. You would never know unless you're an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Why should you not know? You should know. You should know. So, I have one way to lower cost of care is, among other things, price transparency, uh, quality, cost, and convenience. Another is to increase competition among insurance companies. If there is only one insurance company in the county, that insurance company is going to set the price. That's just market economics. If there's two, you have a little bit of competition. And three, even more so. Again, if you look where Obamacare has been said to be successful, it is urban areas, think California, New York, uh, where they have, like in New York, I think they have 10 different insurance companies competing for people's business. That really works. That really works. If you look at the rural county in Louisiana, you're down to one. An occasional county down to zero, unless they give them whatever they want in terms of premium increases, at which point they attract one back. So um, as we, uh, again, look at the bill that I've advanced with five other senators, we give tax credits to the individual, allowing her to choose her insurance plan. What we hope to do is reignite competition. There'll be some insurance broker out there would say, listen, I can put together a provider network. I would have these pre-funded health savings accounts that I can be the fiduciary agent for and make money managing the money. Now, there would be banks and other institutions, insurance brokers, that would like that. It invites competition back in. So the second way you increase competition among insurance companies is something we need to do. I'm not sure the House plan does that. I can't say that for sure because the House plan gives the money directly to an insurance company, which I think means that the current players play, but you don't invite new players in. Uh, and, and, and that's not a fiscally conservative kind of pro-market approach, but 
And lastly, to decrease the regulations. I will say, as Republicans have spoken of a three-pronged approach, they're really banking hard on decreasing regulations. Uh, I always smile, and I'm sure I've told you this story before, but uh, again, one of the flaws of Obamacare, the, the, the woman in Jefferson Parish, Louisiana, who walks up to me and she goes, my name is Tina and I am pissed off. <laughs> she goes, I'm 56 years old, I've had a hysterectomy, no children, my husband and I are paying $500 more a month for pediatric dentistry and obstetrical benefits. We cannot afford paying $6,000 more a year. I am pissed off. Another woman who walked up, same story, women write these checks, they know this. She goes, I'm 59, my husband's 58. Unless my name is Sarah and his name is Abraham, we don't need obstetrical benefits. <laughs> We've gone from $12,000 a year to $25,000 a year. So. By the way, I always know who's are, who, are, who, who attends uh, uh, institutions of faith by who laughs at that particular. Yeah. <laughs> you learn stuff about your audience. You know. <laughs> um, so, uh, so if we say we want to fulfill President Trump's pledges, cover all, caring for those with pre-existing conditions, um, um, without mandates at a lower cost. We want to fulfill his pledges in a fiscally conservative way that lowers premiums. We would hope that we would lower premiums by increasing competition among insurance companies, by decreasing the cost of care, and decreasing the regulations. So what about being fiscally conservative? Um, I think President Trump nailed the way you lower cost of insurance is ultimately not just by doing competition, but by expanding the pool of those who are insured. Obamacare tried to do this with a mandate. We've all heard of the proverbial young immortal, the young man who hardly ever gets sick unless it's in a motorcycle accident. If he has coverage, his health uh, serves as a buffer between higher premiums the few sick have their costs spread out over the many well, and so therefore, because you can spread the cost in a large actuarial pool, the insurance cost for the sick is lower. Does that make sense to everybody? Now, the whole thing about insurance is the law of big numbers. You just want a really big pool of healthy people so that your few sick have basically a subsidized rate. Now, Obamacare tried to do it with mandates. Um, and the president doesn't, and Republicans don't like the mandates. The Patient Freedom Act, the bill we put forward, does it. And Tom Antos and Jim Capretta recently endorsed this in the health affairs blog by allowing states to do passive enrollment. Much like when I turn 65, I'll be on Medicare. I can call them up, you know, uh, every now and then Theodore, someone like Theodore Kaczynski calls up and says, don't put me on Medicare. Uh, but as a rule, the rest of us end up 65 years old on Medicare, and so that way there's a big actuarial pool of Medicare. So similarly, if you had a, a passive enrollment of all the young immortals, you would end up with a big actuarial pool for which the sick would have their cost of care spread out, therefore the impact diluted. Blue Cross Louisiana uh, looked at that provision as if applied to Louisiana, and found just by a passive enrollment of those eligible, you would lower premium costs by 20%. Isn't that interesting? 
We keep the same number of sick people in Louisiana in our individual pool, but you lower expenses by 20% by having more people spread over. So as we speak, uh, we want to fulfill Trump's pledges in a fiscally conservative way that lower premiums. One thing that will lower premiums is expanding that actuarial pool. Now here I'm gonna take a real issue with the House plan. Uh, I think the work requirement kind of conflates uh, the healthcare economics with that of, uh, say, food stamps. Um, people, implicit in a work requirement is that the healthy young man is freeloading when he gets coverage. The reality is the sick 58-year-old guy is freeloading on the healthy young man as I offload my excess cost of care to that healthy young man. Make sense? So if we put in a work requirement and take out all those young, healthy people, there goes your premium. Because the only folks in the pool now are guys like me with arthritis and a couple of knee surgeries and at risk for a heart attack. Okay. So, so I, I take a little bit of issue with this enthusiasm for a work requirement uh, because I think it works against your actuarial pool. Now, I'm quite willing to give states the option to do it because states are, are a laboratory of democracy. That said, uh, it does seem to work against that which would be an actuarial principle. Um, and, and I also think <clears throat> it works against the political urgency of lowering premiums. Uh, so, um, so let's kind of wrap up and I'll take some questions. Again, let me go back to our points. We've got to fulfill Trump's pledges in a fiscally conservative way that lowers premiums. Now, I think the fiscally conservative way to manage this is to recognize, acknowledge that Congress has created a right to health care, that we're going to pay for it one way or another, that it's better to give someone, as Rich Lowry says in the National Review, coverage does matter. It is better to give someone coverage so their diabetes is managed as an outpatient as opposed to not being managed and they come to the emergency room episodically, <clears throat> get hospitalized at $10,000 a hospitalization. So we want to give them coverage. That's fiscally conservative. And we're going to lower the cost of care. We're going to lower premiums by lowering the cost of care, increasing competition, expanding our actuarial pool, and then relying upon the administration to decrease the regulatory burden. Um, the House bill, I'm not sure is going to achieve that. I don't see anything that actually lowers the regulatory environment that increases competition among insurance companies, that expands the actuarial pool, um, and it certainly decreases the amount of subsidies the working poor receive to uh, purchase their insurance, which in turn I think will worsen the actuarial pool. Only the sick will buy in. But that's the debate before the House right now. Um, where do I see this? Uh, it's very much in play. Folks like y'all very much have to come and speak to the punk people you know. Jack, we're, uh, Ferguson's around. We all know that, that we're representatives. We listen to y'all. Someone says, listen, I think this is not particularly good politics. Um, I have one uh, House leader say, it's going to be a difficult next two years, I'll say. Uh, because our, President Trump's pledge will not be fulfilled. We're going to see private, the privately insured, their premiums will increase because of cost shifting. 
those who are the working poor who voted for Trump, even though that they have a median income in their county of $16,000, will see their premiums rise because there's less of a subsidy, and I can go down the list. Uh, on the other hand, I do think there's options out there, and hopefully we'll be able to explore those. Let me stop there and take whatever questions you all have. Okay, thank you. Thank you.